Good morning. We have a Bible going to be in John 15, 1 through 15. John 15, 1 through 15. If you need a Bible, we'll have some ushers coming down. Slip a hand up. They'll give you one. You can borrow it this morning. You can use your own hard copy or uh, electronic version through version. Uh, you can follow us there on, under live events. It has all the notes and everything there as well. Thanks for being here this morning and worshiping with us and those who are joining us online. And for the Kindred Campus and Traditions, we're worshiping the same God. We have several things happening here at, at Bethel Church. Um, a lot of ways to get connected, uh, ways to grow, ways to go. And when I say go, I mean uh, missions opportunities and, and so on and so forth. So check that out in your program. Go online, look at our, our webpage and, uh, or read the e-news if you receive that. If you're new with us here this morning, you received a connection card in your bulletin. You can fill that out, drop it in one of the offering boxes on your way out uh, this morning. But we're glad that you're here wor worshiping with us. I've mentioned a couple, for a couple weeks now in a row about this book, Victory of the Darkness by Neil Anderson. And several of you have picked up a copy, but we still have a few copies remaining at the information desk if you wanna grab one of those, if you're into reading, and um, they're $10 a piece. And if you haven't read that book, I would highly, highly encourage it. <clears throat> the title Friend has become very popular. Uh, the past number of years. You'll often hear people refer to others as this is my friend or this is a good friend of mine. I think the title has, a, of course, a wide range of meaning. Several years ago, there was a gentleman who was in the hospital and he had several different ailments happening and I knew him fairly well. And, and so I went down to the hospital to visit him and we'd visited a while and then I prayed for him and as I prayed for him, I, I prayed that he is my friend. I said, dear Lord, would you be with my friend? And, and would you bring healing to my friend? And so on and so forth. I didn't think much of it. And then I got home and a little later that afternoon, the wife called me and said, you have no idea how much it meant uh, to my husband when you said, my friend. And it was just a great reminder to me. It is good, isn't it, to be called a friend and to know that the other person means it. Did you know that Jesus calls us friends? What an honor to be considered a friend of Jesus. In this series, we're looking at the truths of scripture, reminded of who we are in Christ, and this overarching theme that we're looking at for at least these first few messages is this idea that I am accepted. Two weeks ago, we were reminded that we're chosen and adopted. Last week, we looked at the fact that we're redeemed, we're forgiven, and we're justified. And today, we're gonna look at that we are a friend of God's. And, and why all of these statements? Why do we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ? Because John 8, 32 says this, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're looking at the truth of God's word. What is a friendship? Are you friends with someone because you know their name or because they know your name? Are you friends because they say hi to you or because you're in the same room with them? Maybe you're friends because you're friends with them on Facebook. That must be it, right? Facebook is the clincher. That's why it's not uncommon to see people who will put that test out there, like, well, I'm going through my friends list and I just don't know how many people I really know and so on and so forth. So if you're a friend of mine, how do you know me? Or how, you know, those kinds of questions. We can trust Facebook. Um, I've been weeded out before on Facebook. 
I can think of a couple of times I've been blocked and even removed. Um, you know, there's that there, one day maybe it, it dawns on you like, you know what? I haven't seen so-and-so's posts for a while. And then you go, maybe this doesn't happen to you, you go look them up and you realize I'm no longer a friend of theirs. That's why I haven't seen their posts, right? Has that ever happened to anybody else? Only the pastor. Yeah. In all seriousness, who are your friends? Those people that you can depend on, those people that accept you just for you, those people who pursue you and, and who take a initiative with you, those people who can speak truth to you and speak truth into your lives, those people who care about you, who pray for you, who encourage you, who are they? Well, people whom we thought were friends, they fail us, they disappoint us, they turn on us, they give up on us, they abandon us because they are imperfect just like you and just like me. Jesus will always introduce you by saying, this is my friend. I don't know about you, but the thought of Jesus calling me friend is quite humbling. And it makes me um, ponder the question and wrestle with the question, what kind of friend am I? And this morning, I want to take a closer look at that friendship, what it means to be called his friend, why he calls us his friend, and how being a friend of Jesus, how does that even impact our life? So if you're following along, uh, number one is friends of God make a point to remain in him. We're in John 15. You're probably uh, most familiar with John 15, one through five, <clears throat> but listen as I read uh, the first eight verses. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will uh, be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him. Let me make sense of this just so we understand this truth. So to, to be called a friend of Jesus as we unpack this passage is only possible because of one five-letter word. The word is abide. This entire chapter, John 15, is all about us abiding in a relationship with him. What does that even mean? Abiding means to remain in a position that you've already obtained. So when you come to Christ, you surrender your life, you become a child of his, right? That's the position that changes, you're a child of his. So the idea of abiding means remaining in that position to be closely connected for a long period of time. Just how important is abiding in Christ? In this passage, Jesus mentions it, in just a few verses, he mentions it 10 times. As a believer in Christ, you're called a friend when you abide. His friendship never changes. 
We, however, must choose how close we want to get to him. We make that choice when we determine whether we're going to abide or whether we will remain in him. Now, you all know this about me. I hope you all know this about me. I do not believe a person can lose their salvation. I don't believe a person can lose their relationship with God once they have placed their trust in Christ alone to save them. However, I do believe we can be out of fellowship with God. And I do believe we can choose to not abide or remain in fellowship with him. So we can be changed positionally, we can be a child of his, and find ourselves not remaining in that relationship. In verse five, it goes on to say, he, that person, will bear much fruit. Being called a friend is about the fruit. It all ties together. Abiding in Christ is about the fruit. It's all connected. Have you ever noticed that certain people start acting a certain way because they have been hanging out with a certain person or a group of people, and, or maybe um, you've heard of parents or maybe you've done this with your own kids, I don't want you hanging around that particular child or that group of friends because they seem to have an impact on you and, and then when you come home you start acting a certain way, you start acting like them. It doesn't take long, does it, for others to rub off on us. You'll find that when people move to North Dakota, and um, it doesn't take long before they start talking like North Dakotans. Isn't that true? I can't tell you how many times I say, oh, for sure. I don't know whether I said that in Iowa or not, but I say it here. But things like that, it doesn't take long for us, for other people to rub off on us. And sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's not a good thing. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that Jesus is rubbing off on you. For him to rub off on you, you must get close enough to him. To get close enough to him, you have to abide in him. The evidence of true friendship is fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is the only evidence you have that you have been close to the king. Close enough to be called his friend. You'll be recognized as a friend of Jesus by your fruit. Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's nine of them. Those are the evidence, those fruits are the evidence that you're close to the king and he's rubbing off on you. Secondly, friends of God lay down their lives for others. Verse 9 through 14. It says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. It goes on and it says, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. So Jesus continues to unpack this idea of what it means to be a friend of his. The first eight verses, they focus on us abiding in Christ, and then in, in verse nine, there's this shift or this pivot, and all attention is given to Jesus' love for us and his command for us to love one another. 
There's a progression here leading us to love one another in his way. We first learn that we are loved by Jesus because the Father first loved him. And because of the unconditional love shown to Jesus from his Father, God the Father, so God the Father loves his Son unconditionally, we're instructed to remain in the love Jesus has for us. So for just a second, set aside this idea of us loving other people. We are instructed to remain in that love. And how do we remain in that love? Anybody remember the five-letter word? Just shout it out. Abide. We first learn that we are loved by Jesus because the Father first loved him. Our obedience to his commands is the way that we remain in his love. Our willingness to serve and obey demonstrates our love for him. 1 John 5, 3 says, loving God means keeping his commands. And his commandments are not burdensome. Those aren't my words, that's scripture. The entire progression of love from the Father to Jesus and Jesus to us is summed up in verse 11. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So his love for us is the stabilizing factor when life takes us all different directions. And because we're human, our ability to feel love is often conditional to our experiences. So we're going through life and we're having all these kinds of experiences, trials and temptations and all these things, and our ability to feel love is often conditional to those experiences. Jesus says to us in these few verses, well, wait a minute, so, so you're going through a hard time and, and we're saying, well, I don't know, does God even care about me? Does God love me? Does he even know anything that's happening in my life? Every single one of us in this room have been in that place. And Jesus says, hold on a second, wait just a minute. My love for you is unconditional and will never be any less no matter what you experience and no matter what you're going through. James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy. The only way we could ever have joy in a trial is knowing that while the circumstances around us are going haywire, Jesus' love for us is consistent and unaffected. Knowing and living in that truth, friends, is the root of our joy. Knowing and living in that truth. When we forget or neglect the unchanging love that Jesus has for us in the circumstances of life, we'll be tossed around all to and fro like a rag doll, all kinds of emotions and doubts and even anger. And in this passage and elsewhere, Jesus takes it one step further. In verse 12, he says again, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. As, as if Jesus' love for us uh, wasn't enough. Like, why couldn't we stop there? He now teaches us that we have to replicate what he has done for us. 
easy peasy, right? For us to love others in the way that we're commanded and in the way that he loves us, I'll just be honest, I need help doing that. Do you need help doing that? Or does that just come easy for you? A few of the ways that he helps us in our ability to love. He frees us from the tyranny of self-love. Man, that's what everything's about now, right? Self-help, everything. Love yourself, love, love, love yourself. It's difficult to love others when we're so in love with ourselves. He frees us from guilt so we can love freely. He restrains our selfish desires. If we follow our selfish desires, we will be too preoccupied to love other people. He models for us patience and concern for other people. A lack of patience comes easy to us. Loving others in the way Jesus shows up, not so much, right? So the absolute highest expression of love we could possibly have for another person is by laying down our life for someone else. There are many sacrifices we can make, but the ultimate sacrifice would be laying down our life. Laying down our life to express our love for another ought to sound kind of familiar. Is it ringing a bell? Romans 5, 7 and 8 says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You remember a couple weeks ago when I talked about that? A good person and a righteous person. There's not much distance between the two. Somebody might do that. But God demonstrates his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were as far apart as you could possibly be. And because of the love that he had for us, he died for us. In this passage, we're being reminded that the greatest love we could ever possibly express is laying down our lives for our friends. Now, um, you might hear of an extreme case, or maybe you watched a movie, or you might even, I mean, there are times when somebody might actually physically lay down their life for someone else, right? But in this passage, we're being reminded that the greatest love we could ever possibly express is laying down our life for our friends. Is Jesus suggesting that we literally have to die for us to show a friend the amount of love we have for them? The answer is yes. But it's not a physical death. We practice sacrificial love for friends by listening by taking the time, by serving, by encouraging, by being generous of our time and resources, and so on. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And by the way, there's a difference between feeling love toward everyone and acting lovingly towards people. Some people, I want you to brace yourself for this. This is profound. Some people are difficult to love. Right? Is that a surprise to you? Thirdly, friends of God are interested in what he is up to. Verse 15, 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. A servant is one who is far from God and who may even do many good things for the master or many good things for the king. A friend is one who is close enough to the king to get in on the action and to be in on the no. To get close enough to the king, you have to abide. He is saying, a friend of mine is one who is close enough to me to be in the know. So friendship is a privileged position, and abiding is the effort we make to remain in that privileged position. As we abide, we bear fruit, because how could we possibly be so close to the king and not be affected? When you get close to the king, everything changes. The word friend in this passage means a friend at court. And it describes an inner circle of people that would always be close to and around the king or the emperor. When Jesus used the word friend here, he was not referring to a distant friend or an acquaintance. He was referring to a follower who was close to him. But keep in mind that this kind of friendship is risky, even for Jesus. We've all experienced those times when friends don't act like friends, right? You can think of times right now. What about Judas, right? Jesus trusted him, allowed him to fellowship and to break bread with him and spend time with him, um, and then he turned on him. You ever had a friend turn on you? What about Peter, James, and John? They were in this, this uh, inner circle. They were the ones that were so close with Jesus. And you remember in the garden, Jesus says, I'm just gonna wander over here, I'm gonna pray. And I, I, I want you guys to sit here and I want you to be praying for me. These are his closest inner circle friends. And he comes back and they can't even stay awake long enough to pray for him, they're all asleep. And, and then Peter, as though falling asleep wasn't enough, turned around and denied Jesus three times. You remember that when they said, hey, do you know this man? No, I've never, never heard of him, never seen him. Jesus knows the risk of calling his friends. He gets it, and yet he still says to you and he says to me, these are my friends. Jesus said, instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I've made made known to you. One of the greatest privileges we have as friends of Jesus is to getting to know more and more the depth of God and getting in on God's secrets and his plans. Now, I don't want that to be too mystical, but listen to this. Oftentimes, um, we, will, we wanna know, you've probably said this, God, what am I supposed to do here? Which, which direction do you want me to go? Do you want me to go this way? Do you want me to go this way? Or, you know, we're, and we're just constantly throwing these prayers up to God. I need to know, I need to know, I need to know. And the idea here is that we get in on God's secrets and his plans when we're close enough to him and we know his heart. And when we're close enough to him and we know his heart, we know his plans. We know the direction he wants us to go. We read his word, and he reveals it to us, and he reminds us of the truth. If we explain that just a little bit further, a disciple or a follower of Christ has friendship with God, but also continues to serve God and obey his commands. Our friendship with God does not release us from serving and obeying him. It gives us reason to do that. John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. 
He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him. I will show myself to him. Here's what it all comes down to. We are his friends, not so we can just enjoy the luxury of knowing the king. We are called his friends because we have been invited to the inner circle of his heart. All for the purpose, we see in this passage, of bearing fruit. The inner circle of friends are in the know because he lets his friends in on his plans. While he is our master, he does not treat us as servants, but he treats us as friends. So, our friendship with Christ involves his deep love for us, our deep love for him, and our love for others. Each of us is as close to God as we choose to be. We are called his friends, meaning we ought to be near to the throne, listening, seeking, and obeying. I don't know what you're thinking at this point, but it absolutely blows my mind that Jesus, the Son of God, our Father, the Savior of the world, I don't know, maybe when we get to the gates of heaven, you know, and God says, why should I let you in, that question, and we know the right answer is that we've surrendered our life to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, this is my friend. I began with the truth that Jesus calls us friends, and it's just one more truth that we need to remember as we strive to live and out of the truth of who we are in Christ. When I'm reminded of the fact that Jesus calls me friend, it gives me hope. It gives me purpose, courage, confidence, motivation. I feel secure, I feel wanted, I feel noticed. I think the truth of this passage is crucial in the midst of the loneliness epidemic. The more I do life, the more you do life, the more you get into people's lives, you realize that it doesn't matter whether a person's an extrovert or an introvert. It doesn't matter whether a person appears to have all kinds of friends or they don't. Loneliness is a real thing. And the truth of this passage is that we always have a friend because he calls us friend, and that's our Savior. The last one is friends of God are appointed to bear fruit, verse 16 and 17. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. It's the idea that a branch will bear fruit. Jesus promises to answer our request by linking his promise to us bearing fruit. So there's this little piece of this passage like, ask whatever you wish in my name and it'll be given to you. We're like, woohoo, right? I'm gonna try that today. Well, the idea is that it's all linked with his promise to us bearing fruit. He answers us in order to help us accomplish the mission that he's given us to produce fruit that is eternal. 
It's all linked. So it isn't just willy-nilly, oh, uh, God, I want this. Or God, could you give me that? Or could you do this? It's all tied together in producing fruit. And this is my command, he says, love each other. We live in a world where in many places being a Christian is despised. And maybe one day, guys, maybe one day soon, our state or maybe in our city or maybe in our neighborhood, uh, being a Christian will not be favorable. And listen to this. And the only means we must show the world Christ is the love that we have for one another. Because a friend of Jesus is obvious. A friend of Jesus is obvious because they get Jesus all over you. The fruit of the Spirit flows from their mouth when they speak. Their peace oozes from their life. Their kindness and gentleness make a confusing mess all over the place. Their love leaves you dumbfounded. Their joy is contagious. Do you know them? Do you know a friend of Jesus? Let me leave you with one thing. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Father, thank you this morning for your word and the truth of your word. And as we continue to move through this series, um, the idea of who are we in Christ and the truth of your word and uh, the truth statements that we gotta cling to and that we need to be reminded of that, that literally any time we, we can say, I, you know what, wait a minute, the evil ones attack on me here or I got these things going on in my life. Wait a minute, I was chosen and adopted, right? God paid a hefty price for me through his son Jesus. I've been forgiven, I've been justified. Those are all truth and this morning, Father, what an incredible reminder that you call us friend. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, give us the strength and the courage and the boldness to take one more step in your direction, to move closer to the inner circle, that we could know your heart, that we can know your ways, we can know your commands, we can know what you desire of us so that we can bear fruit. And people would look at us and say, right there, that's a friend of Jesus. Amen.